Strategy. Design. Marketing. UX. Digital. Development. This is Agencies That Build, the show dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Casey. I'm a former coder and agency owner. And I'm Maroon, a better coder and an agency partner. Better? <laughs> Probably true. This show is sponsored by Galaxy. On a mission to help agencies grow. Maroon, we're live, man. We are live. I'm excited. Ready to, ready to do this? We got an amazing guest today. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. Who is this person we're talking to? Let me introduce you to him. Entrepreneur, author, speaker, web developer, extraordinaire, flexible teams, flexible webs is his his design, his goal. He is a reformed coder, previously a coder, um, now creating companies. He's always asking, why are we doing things? What's the driving force behind companies, projects, teams? President at Sparkbox, Ben Callahan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. I, you're busy. You're busy. And I, I tried to encapsulate just a, a, a snippet of that in, in introduction. Um, I'm glad you're here. It's our digital leadership series. And so I want to stop talking and I want to pass you this thing. It's heavy for me, but I, I think it looks like you work out. So here we go. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> go ahead and grab that. You got it? All right. Got All right. it. Look at that backhand grip. For, this guy's strong. All right, Ben, take that Thor's hammer here, the one and only, the actual Thor's hammer. Take that, smash for us some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, I think, um, you know, because we're in, a, we're in the tech space, I think our default is to sort of rely on technology to solve the problems for us. Um, I see this a lot in interacting with other folks, you know, like me. The questions always come up about what tool should I be using to do this thing or whatever it is, you know? And so I think for me, a big myth is that technology solves the problems for us when in reality, there are always people problems. There's always a person on the other side of that tool. And so I like to think about the idea of sort of building relationships as being more important than building the products, you know? Um, and that's kind of where I try to keep my focus. And my team is very focused in that way too. When I ask our customers why they, why they work with us, I always think they're going to talk about how amazing the work is or our processes really you know, set us apart. But really all they ever say is, we just like you. <laughs> and uh, you know, so like it just comes down to this idea that like the people, right? That's, our projects don't fail for technical reasons. They fail for people reasons. Our projects don't succeed because of technology. They succeed because of the people involved. So it's almost counterintuitive that that here we are a bunch of tech guys talking about how it's actually all comes down to the people behind the scenes, whether it's the client on their end or the coder on our end, designer. Um, a lot of people don't know that, though. I think a lot of people, we get distracted by the tech and we feel like tech is the magic solution. Um, why, why do you suppose why is this truth not so so well known? I think we do know it like sort of deep down in our gut, you know, yeah. but I think it's easy to get distracted by the tech. And also, honestly, it's easier to focus on the technology. The people stuff is so hard, you That's know, it. it's uncomfortable. It's, you got to have hard conversations, you know, you got to be willing to sort of go through difficult things with people. I remember when I started um, this business, I, I used to, I, I, I vividly remember the first time we, we, didn't do well on a project for a customer. And I was scared to death to have the conversation with them, you know? 
And I think what I learned is where I used to avoid that kind of conflict with a, with a client, what I learned is that going through that conflict makes your relationship with them stronger on the other side. Right. You know? And so that conflict is what creates the strength in a relationship because now you've said, hey, we can make it through difficult things together. And now there's a, a, another level of trust that you can't get if everything is just always roses, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. Like, yeah. you know, whether it's deploying or, you know, anyone that's in the shit together, right? If you right. go through tough times, you always end up being much more bonded than the people that you're all went to the circus together. You know, you all went right. had a good time, we're acquaintances, but when you survive something tough, you know, even when things don't go right, but, but everyone really rolled up their sleeves and got it done. I mean, you, you learn about who people really are. Yeah. And yes. And this, uh, this resonates with me as well. Now that you said it that way, that it's the people, is the relationship first before the technology. So I, I remember, you know, I think a few years ago, one of the uh, clients that we worked with where we had, you know, we screwed up, like we literally did not do well. Uh, at the end of the day, it was our connections, our mutual respect for each other that saved the day. Like they understood, they bought in to hiring us to, to, to work with us, not because we were technically fit at that time or not, because they really liked us, because yeah. we, you know, we understood each other's problems very well. Well, they, they knew that we have, you know, um, um, a distributed team, we didn't, we have a different culture, um, and we set the expectations that way. So, so there is that mutual, um, you know, you know, understanding about how we are going to deliver certain aspects of it. So even if we failed the actual project or we did something wrong, they, they got it. Like they, they said, all right, we, we, we are in it together. So that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yep. You got it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of surprising though, hearing two of you um, openly talking about the imperfections in the process or when it didn't go right. I think a lot of people are, nervous especially agency owners when you're first getting started um to uh, you're like kind of shit you're kind of showing that you're showing your cards so no i everything's perfect over here we've never messed up but no you say hey mistakes happen and what what is it about both of you where you're able to do that you're able to just openly talk about yeah we there's been times where it didn't go right and in and I guess it, it means it, you don't, you're not nervous that that's going to hurt you from eventually having more deals with other people who haven't met you. Yeah. Ben, I, I would like, <laughs> I'm passing that to you first, man. I'll, no, I'll go. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. You go ahead. Oh, I'm, either way is fine. I was just going to say that like, if somebody, if somebody's telling you that everything's perfect, you know, they're lying, right? Because nobody <laughs> does it. Nobody's perfect. So, I mean, I think, I think maybe Varun, we're on the same page just in terms of like transparency is core to like who we are. So the, yeah. I'm going to tell a client if they're not a good fit for us, if we don't have that expertise, I'm not going to try to force it because I want to engage right. in, you know, a relationship with somebody where I know we are actually good, a good fit. And, um, you know, like we always, you know, there's always the opportunity for something to slip. Software is so messy and you just don't know what, what's, what you're getting into until you're in it, you know? Yeah. And that's just part of the process. So I think, I think you have to, instead of pretending like those things don't happen, let's just acknowledge them and let's yeah. put, put some stuff in place to be ready when they do, you know, and work through it. That's, I don't know. That's our approach yeah. at least. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and in, in our firm, I have seen that gradually change. We have been around for 20 years, right? So in the beginning, I remember that um, we would, as a company, we would just say yes to everything. We would say we are the best you know, players in the market, hire us, you know, we will do everything at the best quality. Slowly that, you know, we, we realized like, you know, that is not really true. I mean, let's, let's, you know, yes, we are, we could be one of the best, but we are not the best. We are, we, we can do some stuff. Well, there are sort of a lot of things that we don't do well. So let's accept that. And let's be transparent about the clients, about our strengths and weaknesses. One thing that we have really started recently rolling out as part of our core values uh, is having the mindset of continuous improvement, right? Don't, don't, you know, so we want our team to, to get that mindset. Like we, we don't want to be perfect. We are not, no one is perfect, but there's always room for growth and improvement. So let's just make that as our priority. Keep learning and make sure we communicate that to the client as well from the, you know, stage one, from the step one, like, you know, we are in this project together. We will learn as we go and we will help each other, you know, on along the way. So that's the mindset thing that, you know, it's, it's hard to, it, it takes time to sink in and then implement. Yeah, totally. I love that uh, iteration, continuous improvement. That's a big part of our sort of, you know, approach as well. I think it kind of has to be in this business, you know, <laughs> like yeah. things are changing a, so fast, right? It's so fast. Things, yeah. 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 Yep. It's true. So, you know, I want to kind of, I do want to get to, you mentioned core values for, you know, I want to, I want to talk about that at one point, but let, let's just, I want to finish this one part around, you know, if it's the relationship, not the product. What do you guys think? What are some of the recommendations then how do you make and I've, i'm feeling like transparency is going to be on the list just from what we just said just being open and honest or whatnot but but how do you if it is all about the relationship how do you do that the right way how do you best do relationship i mean definitely transparency i mean i think for us it's about we want to build trust you know so mm -hmm. um you build trust by being honest with people you know, uh, even if it means that you, you maybe aren't the best fit. We've had that happen before where, you know, a customer has come to us for something that we don't, like we probably could figure it out, but we're not maybe the best fit. And we'll say that and we'll say, you know, let us help you find somebody and we'll do that. And then we'll, they'll come back at some point when it's a thing that they know we're good at. So we've had that happen. We've had scenarios where like, um, you know, I mean, Anybody who's in this business knows it's it's difficult to estimate things accurately, right? So a lot of folks these days, I think, are working with ranges. They're doing discovery early on to try and better understand the, the context. What are the thing, what's the thing we're actually building? And then providing ranges. And as we make progress, sort of narrowing in on a, on a final figure, you know, dollar figure. Um, that's, I think, fairly normal these days. Um, but I think you know, like with budgets, if somebody comes to you and they say, once you've earned a little trust, once if they come to you and say, I've got a hundred grand to do this thing. And like in the past, we've seen a faster way, you know, and actually cut that in third and said, Hey, you know what, like given all the other, you know, factors, you know, what, what is your team already good with? What, what systems are already in place? We think we could solve this problem for you for 30, 30 grand instead of a hundred and give us a week to play with that a little bit and let's see, you know, if that makes sense and th there's trust there. And so 
working in that way has allowed us to build that trust even further, right? Now they never question an estimate from us <laughs> because they know we have their best interest in mind. It's not just about how do we get the dollar figure as high as yeah. we can. Um, we, you know, before COVID, we used to always do in-person, even though none of our clients really are close, like, you know, our team's distributed, you know, like yours, Varun. So I think the physical location part is hard, but um, we did before this COVID stuff hit, we did like to try and have at the beginning of, a, of, a, of an engagement, a, a, an actual in-person meeting. And we would let folks come to our headquarters in Dayton, or we would fly to meet them at theirs. Um, and that, you know, a couple days of in-person time is so hard to replace, you know, just, yeah. and it always came with something that was completely unrelated. You know, maybe we'd go to dinner after our first day's meetings and just yeah. find out what these people like to do, you know? Um, you know, we try to do some of that stuff now virtually. We'll, we'll send, you know, we have little spark box onesies. If someone's having a baby, we'll send that. Or if something comes up in the project, you know, we'll make t-shirts for folks or, you know, just something to like, let them know. We, we know there's a lot more to this than just the work, right? Where we're building relationships. Um, so I think it just takes a lot. It's just, it's different each time, you know, but those are the kinds of things we're thinking about. One thing I heard that, so uh, about discovery, right? That building trust so getting trust with the client and then having them hire you for 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 this just discovery where you are basically taking money from the client helping them figure out what the problem is and how will you define the problem right, right. has that and i've heard that from many agencies right who are established who are at a point where they have a name people know them and you know but when you start out, like, you know, like if you, I, you've been around for some time now, right? When you started out, has that always been the case? Like, would you do the discovery, like a paid discovery every time? Or, you know, how would you um, advise smaller agencies maybe, you know, who are yeah. just starting out, right? How do they, how should they approach discovery? Yeah, this is interesting. We, we, we have not always done paid discovery. Um, but we, our business has changed a lot over the years. You know, uh, we were similar to what you described, Varun. There was a season where we would take money for anything. You know, I used to do animation work and I've After Effects. Yeah. I was doing Flash. I did audio editing. I did video. We did, you know, everything. You know, I did, we've designed trade show booths, you know, <laughs> like, so that was a season for us. And I think, you know, like, uh, we specialized, right? Our specialization isn't like hyper special, like not into a specific industry, but we, we, we solve problems with web technologies. That's kind of what we do, you know? Um, and so, so we're a software company really. Um, and I think the paid discovery thing for us, uh, I just, I think we just kept finding ourselves in situations where we felt like we were just taking orders from the customer, right? They, they would come to us and they would say, we need, somebody to do X and it's, you know, um, they would have the problem already solved, I think, or the solution already defined. And we kept feeling this tension of like, man, I, I, I think we have a lot of experience and, and we could probably help them come up with a better solution if that's what they were asking. But if, if you're not establishing upfront that that's who you are, then I think people assume they're going to just give you the task and you quote it and go do it. And so we wanted to be more in the problem solving space than just the order taking space. And so for us, that, that meant re restructuring our whole business development process 
so that we were more closely modeling what it would be like to actually work with us. So that ripples into things like an estimate. Well, I don't, I don't want them to just come, come to us and say, here's the thing. And then we disappear for two weeks and come back and give them a spreadsheet that lays out exactly what it's going to cost, because that's not what it's going to be like to work with us, right? It's going to be much more collaborative. So instead, we do a quick sort of mini tiny, tiny discovery call where we ask a lot of questions with them. We just do that for free early on. And then we create a collaborative estimate and we share that with them and we highlight cells where they could update things. And we just say, hey, based on this quick 30 minute conversation, we, here's kind of how we're thinking about this approach, you know? Um, and what we're doing is we're trying to like say to them, hey, we want a, you to participate with us in this process, right? We're gonna bring expertise, but you are gonna bring expertise on your business and your customers and and all of that. And we can't, neither of us can really be successful without the other. <laughs> so, yeah. so try to model that early, early. And then a big part of it has been saying, especially with larger software projects, we just, it's just, if somebody's giving you an estimate for this, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost guaranteed that it's inaccurate because the, there's not enough information to provide that. And, the, and we want to be transparent with you. So the way we get to a, a, an accurate estimate is we do a little bit of work together. That gives your team yeah. a chance to get to know us. That helps yeah. us as an organization, as two organizations build trust with each other. At the end, we still offer something valuable. We'll give you a project, you know, uh, like a roadmap. We'll give you technical uh, documentation and, and the, you know, experience documentation, all those things that you could technically take to another group if you just feel like it's not a good fit. But our hope is that you'd choose to continue working with us, you know, and part of the output of that discovery is a collaborative estimate for, you know, the next few phases. Um, so that's kind of the approach we've taken. And to start with, it was small amounts, you know, five, 10 grand that we would charge for those. Now it's anywhere from 20 to 40 grand that we'll charge for a discovery engagement. And those are, you know, three to six weeks long, typically. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's that's great because um, that makes a lot of sense. Like you start with few phone calls, uh, free. That is free part of discovery. But then, as you know more, then you kind of roll out the discovery process in which you you know give them the paid discovery yeah. option. So um, that that makes sense. One thing you mentioned, you brought up was uh, you about specialization versus generalization. So I want to pick your brain on that. Um, everyone is talking about being a specialist. You know, David C. Breaker, Blair Enns. I mean, they, they talk about that like all the time. How, how do you, so you said you position yourself as a, as a you know, problem solver using uh, web technologies, right? Uh, what, what does that mean? Like, would you, you are not industry specific. Are you saying that you would just do any type of work for anyone as long as they meet the budget or, you know, criteria for, for the cost or like, yeah. There must be some line you, you must draw somewhere, right? That differentiates you from others. Yeah, um, it, this is interesting. And I go back and forth on this. My partner, Rob, and I go back and forth on this a lot. I think there's a lot of potential reward in being hyper-specialized. I definitely think that, right? You want to get a steak, you go to a steakhouse and you pay a lot more for it than you would if you went to Applebee's, yeah. right? Um, and it's going to be better, you know? But... Um, <laughs> The, the, the risk, of course, is that like you choose an industry, like let's just say you decided we're going to be the studio that helps marketing for events, right? And so all of a sudden, 
COVID comes along and there are no events, right? So the risk is, you know, the reward is great because you become known and all the folks who do events want to hire you and you can have a massive portfolio of all this event work. But the risk is something happens external to your group that changes that space. And you're now, all of your marketing, all of your portfolio, everything is, is relying on that specific niche. So I think there's, that's a decision that every group is going to have to make, right? Where, or how risky are you willing to be? Um, people specialize in industries. That's one way to do it. Some people specialize in technologies, right? There's a lot of, of shops that have made their name as, um, you know, Drupal shops or JavaScript shops, or even more specific where we do react, you know, yeah. um, those are great, but technologies change, man, you know, they, yeah. and they change very frequently. Right. So we've avoided that as well. Um, and so instead what we talk about is, um, we, we noticed a trend maybe eight years ago, which was that all of our customers were doing a lot of hiring. They were, they were building their own. I think everybody's finally realizing they're all software companies. Everybody's a software company now. Even if their product is selling jeans online, they still have you know, 50 UX people and hundreds of developers or thousands of developers, right? In order to get a, you know, a scalable, secure e-commerce platform online that can sell those jeans, right? So they are not only a gene manufacturer, they are a digital software company as well. And so with that realization in the last decade, I think all those organizations are building teams that do exactly what we do. Um, so what we try to say is like, hey, we've been doing it longer. We have a deep expertise. We also work with lots of different organizations. So instead of a specialist who has is very sort of narrowly minded, we're going to bring an outside perspective to your problem. And the big differentiator for us is that we're going to, we're going to help you hire, we're going to train your team. So the expertise that we bring, hiring us is an investment in your team, right? That expertise is going to be something that we help deliver to your team. And so they will be better at the end of the project, right? We mentor them, we do code reviews, we put a good process in place with them, so that it's not just us disappearing, building a product, delivering it, and then we're gone. It's, it's a longer term, you know, sort of trust building type relationship. So at least for us, that's the specialization. And the customers who choose to work with us usually have a, an internal team. And they're looking for somebody to like really train those folks up. Um, and sometimes that means we work ourselves out of a job, you know, um, there's a, a, a utility company down in Knoxville, we did some great work with for maybe a year or so. And part of that work was they had a couple of junior developers at the time. And we just mentored those two throughout the entire project. And by the time we delivered, they were, they were doing the, the bulk of the work and we were just reviewing code, you know, and we set them up to be able to serve their organization in such a good way that we really haven't been needed again. Now they're also a great reference for us, you know? So, um, so there's, there's other value that we get from that. And, and that's honestly like, that's the best thing. Our, our mission as an organization is to inspire and empower a better web, right? We want to do, we want people to think about like, what are the best ways to do this more about accessibility and performance and like making the experience available to anybody on any device at any bandwidth. So we can't do that with 50 people, you know, in around the US. So that means we have to think bigger, we have to think about um, our alumni, when folks leave Sparkbox, where do they go? And are they going to take that idea with them and plant it somewhere else? Um, that's yeah. why we do a lot of educational, like, you know, we teach the teams that we work with so that they'll 
that will spread in that way. That's why we do workshops at events. That's why we do all that stuff. You know, we write a lot, we speak a lot. Um, those are all efforts to try and like spread that idea that, hey, there's a better way. And it's not that we're perfect, but we're, we're trying really hard to figure out. And our process yeah. is always fighting for its life. You know, like we're always looking for a better solution. So that's kind of the motivation behind it for us. A lot of great stuff. You have said so many good things. I want to, you know, talk about each one of them, but I will pick just one um, on the mentoring, right? So you, I really like that, the way you said it, that you, uh, that's kind of your differentiator, right? Right there, like you come in as a mentor, right? You are not like just any other software company. You come in and help the client understand and learn and so that they can be more independent, right? So on that note, how, so I want to get a little tactical there. Like, how do you do that? Because m- mentoring usually requires, you know, an ex- ex- expertise, right? You need like really senior people who have done a lot of similar type of work for a long period of time. Now, sure, your team, you know, consists of very senior people, but not all of them. There will be, you know, hierarchies. That's like any other sure. company. There are seniors, juniors. So when you come in as a, a, a vendor, right? How do you structure yourself where, you know, your, the entire team is utilized yeah. and at the same time, they're adding value in the mentoring piece that you, yeah. you, you sold the client to? I, I think about the mentor. So I might disagree with one tiny way that you stated that, Varun, which is that Shots fired. in order to be a mentor, what's that? Shots fired. Bring it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's a <laughs> Took friendly half an disagreement. Hour to be there, but I'm glad you're there. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think so. When you describe what it, what is what are the requirements to be a mentor? I think it's much broader than somebody who has a, a lot of industry experience. That might be necessary if the person you're mentoring also has a lot. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer that every human on this planet has something that they can teach me. So like, what is it that we're mentoring, right? If it's about writing JavaScript code, then certainly the mentor has to know a little bit more about that than the person they're mentoring. But we run an apprenticeship program at, at Sparkbox. We've done this for almost 10 years now. And it's a, an opportunity, it's a free, it's a paid position. Um, we do two to four of those um, in, our, in our software full stack developer apprenticeship program each year, six months long. We pay them for six months just to come and learn how to, how to be a great developer. Um, and one of the reasons that we do that is because I think having um, the, the, stru- the sort of structure internally for us of mentorship like our, all of our team works with those apprentices for that six month period and they have an opportunity to mentor them. That gives us practice at mentoring. And then as those apprentices, if we do choose to hire or make offers to those folks, when they come in, it's amazing how invested they are in that apprenticeship program and how they want to pour back into the next group. And so those folks are great entry-level developers when they start out of their first position out of an apprenticeship program, but they're not senior, but they're still going to mentor that next class. Does that make sense? So I think you have to be it's like this, right? It's like, I'm going to hold, I need to learn from somebody who's a little better and I need to play the role in that chain. Cause if I don't play that role, then someone else is getting left behind. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's kind of how we try to structure it. Right. We, we would put, we have technical directors who might sit or, 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 you know, we have director level folks or tech lead folks who might sit on a project 
and they're going to mentor the more senior folks, but we also have to get a lot of work done. So we might put folks on the, on the project who's, who will play a role alongside the de designers or developers from our client um, and participate in code reviews. They may write code together. They may, you know, pair program together. Um, and, and so it's, it's a mix, like you said, Varun, but I think it's, it's all about like being in the trenches with folks, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah makes total totally. sense, man. Um, wanted to kind of roll up the sleeves a little bit. At least today I actually have sleeves I can roll up and get uh, just a little bit, a little bit, you know, in the trenches here. And when it comes to building, you've got the apprenticeships, you've got the team, we've talked about the different styles. Are there any best practices when it comes to building and, yeah, I'll just leave it with that. Any best practices when it comes to actually putting fingers to keys, to compilers, to code, what, what's your approach? Uh, well, I mean, we already talked a little bit about iteration, I think, yeah. you know, um, I mean, in the, in the, in this business, like you almost never get it right the first time. So we try really hard to put this idea of like, we'll, we will learn and adjust, you know, that's kind of like a big deal for us. And so we'll, we try things, we try to get them out quickly. We try to put them in front of folks, watch them being used and we iterate, you know, um, I think that's really the only way to build good software. Uh, what else? I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I think it, it's probably um, unwise for us to get hyper-specific because I think every business is a little bit different and yeah. uh, the kind of products you're building or it's going to dictate that in some, in some respects. But for us, it's like, we want to, we want to have a workplace where there's a lot of different perspectives, different experiences, mm -hmm. because I think that's going to bring a lot of um, interesting solutions to the surface that maybe yeah. wouldn't be there if it was just a bunch of comp sci folks. Right. Um, so that's a big part of it for us. Um, you know, we're, like we talked about transparency, that's a huge part of it. We, we talk about timeline, scope and budget every week with our customers and, and specifically budget because I think when we started, you know, it was, again, it was the idea of like, I just don't want to have that conversation. I'm nervous about those difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. So we just wouldn't talk about the budget. And, and if there was ever a case where we could tell early on it's getting off track, we would always justify, oh, we'll fix it next week. You know, <laughs> I'm sure y'all have been there. Um, so instead now what we do is just like, if we're starting to see that it's off, we say that right away. And then we sit down with our customer and we say, hey, we can, we can fix this, but we need to reprioritize things. Let's talk about what's really important. You know, where do we draw these lines? And so then they're a part of the conversation with us. So they're aware of what's happening and we can work together to work to, to figure out a solution, you know, and that's kind of how we navigate those difficult situations. Um, it's again, it's, it's people, right? Like it's the conversation. It's not some, you know, um, forecasting tool that's doing that for right. us. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, Man. Yeah. Talking about building, right? I want to pick your brain on one thing that is um, very common in the agency world. People don't talk about that very publicly. Uh, there is this negative connotation around that uh, contracting, subcontracting, offshoring, nearshoring, right? Yeah. Uh, what I've seen the trend, right? I mean, when a new agency, small agency, one to five people, like right? when they're trying to scale, they don't have people. They that is the good time when they start rolling out, you know, giving the work to outside vendors, right? Because they want to acquire a new client. Slowly they start getting big 
as they start getting big, they want to, you know, do everything in-house. So as they start reaching 15, 20, 25 people, they said, I'm, we are doing all, you know, um, internal, we don't subcontract, we don't hire any, any vendors. And then as they grow even bigger beyond 50s, 80, then again, that mindset starts coming in right now. You know, I think they're, because now they are more, you know, doing one thing over and again, or sometimes they, you know, even doing generalists, they still try to maximize profit by hiring people outside. What is your, you know, uh, process? Like, what do you guys believe, think about, you know, the whole subcontract, subcontracting model? Yeah, uh, I know some organizations that do it very well. I know, you know, I've worked in, not in, um, in, the, in the last, you know, 10 years, but before that in a prior life, I was a part of an organization where there was a lot of that and, and it was a struggle, you know? So I think it's, it's, it's totally possible to work really well with a model where you're subcontracting a lot. Um, I think for us, our, we're incredibly conservative financially. So we save a lot of money because the industry itself is notorious for sort of these ups and downs, right? And so what we want is, I think we're, we do that because we, we, we prioritize sort of the care of our employees over a lot of things. Um, and that means we don't hire because we're busy. So we don't like, if, I, if some big customer were to come to me this afternoon and say, hey, Ben, we need you know, 10 people for the, for the rest of this year and next year. I'm not going to go try to hire 10 people. You know, that in my mind is like a recipe for disaster because that client that may work out great, but they also may walk away a couple months in. And now I've got 10 people who I, whose, you know, families I feel responsible for. So, um, so for us, we, we try to be ready to hire when the right person comes along. And so we're always kind of accepting applications and we're trying to put ourselves financially in a position where we could afford to hire somebody, even if we didn't sign a new gig, you know? Um, and then when the right people walk by, we try to say, yeah, you actually are a great addition to our culture. We would love to have you join. Um, and maybe we don't have something for them right away, but yeah. our hope is like the, the biz dev pipeline does its thing and we continue to grow, you know? So um, it's, a, it's a more conservative approach. Um, but when those large clients do show up and they ask us to deliver, we're not afraid necessarily to subcontract. We do have sort of a small network of folks that we have worked with in the past um, that we, you know, we can call on. Um, and, and so that's, it just depends on the customer. Some customers don't like that idea. Some are totally cool with it. Um, yeah. So I think it's, for us, it's just very contextual. Um, I don't have like a, I don't have like a, you know, I'm not like, it has to be one way or the other. I'm pretty flexible about how we do, how we get things done. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 But so uh, one thing on that, so you said you do have small network of people and when you do bring in, uh, do you usually remain, uh, uh, are you usually transparent with the client that yes, we are working with uh, a vendor or is it all like white labeled? No, no, very, very transparent. Again, part of the just building trust is like, I would never want them to not know that and then find out and feel like we deceived them. So yeah, Yeah. we're very transparent about that. Um, It's not something that we do often. uh, But when we do, we just say, hey, you know, like, we're really busy right now. and We want to work with you. We know a couple of people we've worked with in the past. They're trustworthy. They do good work. They, they, they fit with the the culture and the vibe and they'd be a great addition to the team, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Cool. Okay. Well, I'm curious, you know, like if, if you were to have a crystal ball, maybe you have one and, uh, or it's a crystal bottle back there of, is that Contro? What is that? <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm, I'm working on uh, decorating the space here. So that's just a quick it's little. Uh, okay. For those yeah. classy, <laughs> is that a, is that a, a stag? Like you have this, this yeah. painted photo of a stag when you've got a little, little wooden table with some, with a black and white picture, like a martini shaker and a, and a bottle of alcohol. And it's like, what a manly background, you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, what's, what's happening is with, with, um, you know, everybody working from home, mm -hmm. everybody's thinking about their space. And what yes. I keep seeing is everybody putting all these like cute little things on their walls. And I was like, <laughs> no, 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 we're going to go big. <laughs> so, so, this so that was like during COVID five and like, a half. You foot. got that. Yeah. Just like uh, last week, actually. Wow. So, yeah. So. You're, well, that, you're the first folks to like see it outside of the, of Sparkbox, so yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, oh, just that's that's where I live. This is this is my home. All you yeah. need is like a a black powder musket on the other side. That's you know? right. I'm just like, yeah. oh man, um, ancient ancient materials. But speaking of the past, let's go to the future. So, like, where where does this go? Where are we evolving with 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 building projects? because it it's it's people you said is a solution but where is technology going where are these apps going what's the future oh man if i could answer that yeah <laughs> yeah what stock should i invest in in the next 30 days yeah right <laughs> uh i don't know i mean it's so hard to tell i think i'm excited i mean this is this is terrible but like with with the sort of state of the world you know sort of a lot of fear around the pandemic and that kind of thing I think a lot of our customers are shifting their budgets towards towards digital experiences. I think organizations are finally realizing they can actually let their people work from home. You know, um, I think there's like this wave of flexibility in the workplace that's coming that I'm pretty excited about. We've, I don't, I don't say this to sort of sound like like we're bragging, but we've always had that. Like for us, one of the reasons we started Sparkbox is because we just wanted to make a place that would be a place we'd want to work, you know? And I think totally. both Rob and I, and a lot of the people on my team, we're not like nine to five type people, you know, like we want, we have families or we have friends or we want to travel or we want to just want to, we want to live our lives. You know, we want to experience other things too. And so we don't, you know, our, our maximum billable expectation for folks most of the time is 32 hours a week. And we, we try to create a place where people can actually rest a little bit between, you know, those weeks. And we have a mandatory vacation policy. So instead of unlimited, which if you look at the data, most people never use, we have mandatory. So we get to the end of the year. If you haven't used it, we're going to start counting backwards from the end of the year and send you home, you know? And the whole point is like, you have to rest, right? If you're going to be your best when you're working, you have to rest up. Um, and, and come recharged and ready to tackle it, you know? So that's kind of the goal that, you know, we have projects sometimes that scale and we need to ask people to build 40. And so we will do that occasionally, but it's, it's not super common, but that yeah. does give us a little bit of flex too, Varun, back to the question around, you know, subcontracting. Well, we try to build in a little bit of room for us to flex up if we need it without having to go outside the org too, in that way. Yeah. Um, in terms of what's coming, I mean, you know, the, the, because we're sort of web focused, it's incredible what you can do with the web these days, you know, so I'm very excited about, you know, we're working on a project now. I can't talk about the customer, but it's, it's very sort of, what does it rhyme? 
<laughs> it's very three-dimensional, um, cool. kind of a three-dimensional shopping type. It's interesting stuff, you know? Um, and I mean, we couldn't have done that a couple of years ago. You know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't really ready. Um, so yeah. I think there's a lot of fun stuff coming that's very experiential. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. That is the future, man. Well, next, next thing in my head is like, who are you? Take us back to like little Ben days. What, where did you grow up? What was it like? Did you always know you're going to be an entrepreneur, mm. coder, agency owner, all those things, speaker? Yeah. My, so my, uh, my parents were in the military, so we moved a lot. So okay. I, I, I think, I don't know those of you who have had to move often maybe feel this, you know, my, I, that made me very close with my brothers. I think I have two younger mm -hmm. brothers because you know, it was, we were always moving to a new school and yeah. had to make new friends, but I always had my brothers, you know, what branch? So um, what's that? What branch military? Uh, well, it's complicated. They started in the Navy, met in Japan and then came back here and my dad moved into the air force. And so he, um, mine too, so mine we were... too started the Navy and moved to the air. Really? Force. Yeah. Cause that's not a common years. story. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So we ended up Air Force moving around a lot, you know, um, every few years. Um, but I think that makes you really flexible, you know, um, adaptable, because you kind of just have yeah. to, and social, right? Like, I, I did, it wasn't an option for me to sort of not be able to make friends quickly, because I only had a short amount of time, you know? So I'm, I'm, I think for me, that's like something that comes very naturally, just to like get to know people quickly and um, and move to a, a fairly, you know, deep level fairly quickly with, with folks. Um, when I was in, um, let's see, I would have been a junior in high school. I took a geometry class from a guy named Mr. Coleman. And I remember this was back in the day where they had transparencies. You remember those like gooseneck looking things and yep. they'd have a, you put the clear plastic. Yeah. And you you draw right on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, he pulls out that thing and he puts this, you know, he had like, printed on a sheet of plastic and he puts it up there and it's uh, it was the formula to calculate the area of a circle. So pi mm. R squared, yep. put the radius in and you can get the area. Right. And go. so he's like, get your graphing calculators out. So I got my TI 82. Was it I a two out? Okay. I think it was an 82 or an 81. I had 83. Um, Does that make me young? Yeah. You're a youngster. Youngster. <laughs> Damn it. Um, <laughs> so I get that thing out and he's like, you know, go here, you type this in and basically the program asked you for the radius and then it spit out the area. And I like, this blew my mind. I had never really programmed before that, but like that simple little thing got me on this, started me on this path. And I went home and just, I started writing all kinds of programs on my calculator. You know, I, I would I had a, like a blackjack game. I had this thing I made called physics space where these little physics characters would fly around and oh, wow. like dodge them. Yeah. Um, just all kind. Of, I was just like fascinated with this idea. I, I wrote a program that would allow me to like pretend to clear the memory of the calculator because yes. every time there was a test, they would just wipe the memory and I didn't have a way to back this stuff up and I'd spend hours typing this stuff in. So I never cheated, but I, I would run that program and let the teacher go through the menu thinking she was clearing the, me the, the memory, you know? Wow. Um, that is, that so is next level. Devious, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but that's really what got me started. And I, all I really used was like labels and go-tos and variables and when I got to college and decided I wanted to do computer science, I remember sitting in the first programming class and them showing us what I think we were using 
Turbo Pascal Seven in that class. Oh, geez. And they um, they they put up there like a while loop, right? Where you yeah. could loop through until you know while a certain variable was equal to or less than or greater than. And I remember thinking, oh, I've been building that with labels and go tos and just <laughs> like incrementing a variable, you know, like manually. But there's all these structures that I could use. So I was like, I was in heaven with that stuff. It was like just so natural for me. Um, so I kind of did the computer science thing. Yeah. I took a job right out of school as a software engineer working on an AS400. This is like old IBM mainframey type stuff, cool. you know? Yeah. Um, and I, after about four or five years of fixing other people's bugs, I think I just, I was like, I kind of just, I don't really want to do this, you know? So I took a little break and um, just started playing around with like Flash and sure. a bunch of other fun web stuff and eventually started doing some video and animation and audio. We talked a little bit about that. I had a little recording studio for a season. That's why I have this mic <laughs> um, <laughs> and a bunch of other gear around here. <clears throat> um, kind of led me to just when we were doing video work, um, one of our clients asked for a website and I thought, oh, I was computer science. So I could easily build a website. So I did. And then all of our clients started asking for the web, you know, and it was just, I mean, the timing was just right. You know, it was early 2000s. It was like the, the era of the webmaster, you know. <laughs> um, and so things just grew, you know, I charged 500 bucks for the first website I built. Then I charged a thousand, then two, then four, yeah. then eight. Going you know, up. I just kept doubling it until somebody said no. And um, yeah, I don't know. That's the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> it, it's fun that it all started with that TI-82. And, yeah. you know, thankfully, my teachers never wanted us to uh, erase things. And even my physics you know, teacher was like, you can have the formulas in there and I'll even mm -hmm. put them on your test. But it's can you use them? You know, yeah, um, which That's is better smart. because we had so many. Yeah. I mean, I had coded so many things and we had a program called Drug Wars. I, I don't know how this gets on. these. It's like somebody has them and they somehow virally spread school to school. Yeah. You would basically yeah. be in New York. You could ride the subway to different areas of New York. And while you were yeah. there, you could buy and sell drugs. Oh my God. And go to another, and, and the prices would change depending on the area you went to. Yeah. So you could like make money by like, you know, it, it, and this is in high school, but it was, it was a yeah. program. And I, I, I know what you're talking about, but to, to sort of craft these things and that, I don't know if that language is very similar, like basic or something where you just, yeah. you know, very simple line driven, um, but yeah, to discover that there, there are functions and processes that you can just in, uh, commands that you can give yeah. it that save you eight lines of code just from doing right. one particular thing. I can see yeah. that just spins the wheels and make, make, what else can I do? Yeah. Yeah. I remember you asked about, did I always want to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. I remember when I was in college walking out of the computer science building and uh, in the little breezeway, they had a little cork board, you know, with a bunch of stuff on it and the little tear tags on the bottom of the sheet, you know, and one of them was, I remember it vividly, this purple piece of paper and it said, come join the young entrepreneurs club. And I looked at that paper and I thought, there is no way I want to own my own business. What a headache. And I just walked out, you know, and like, I think, I think at that time I was thinking about all the things that maybe most entrepreneurs don't think about when they're starting a business, like taxes and like healthcare. And I was maybe just a little too realistic at, the, at that time in my life to think, I don't want to have to figure that out, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm lucky that I have a team around me, you know, folks who are really good at that kind of stuff. Cause I don't think I could do it, you know, on my own. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Craziness. Well, um, hypothetical question. 
if you could travel back in time, because we, Brune and I might have a time machine up in the New England area. All right. Um, if you can go back in time and you get to see yourself right after you graduated, you got that CS degree. What, what kind of advice would you give yourself? You knowing what you've been through and all the things you've experienced, what, what kind of things would you tell yourself? I mean, I have, as long as I can remember, I've been somebody that uh, I've kind of been in, uh, how do I say this? I, I've been sort of put in leadership positions, like unwillingly. I remember in high school, somehow I got chosen to be the president of the French club when I was in, uh, I was in like choral groups and stuff. I was always get elected to be the president of the whatever group it was, you know, um, I, I, I just, and I never, I never really embraced that. I think I was always sort of just like, I don't know. I, I didn't, I don't know that I wanted the responsibility. I wanted freedom maybe more than the responsibility. And it's taken me, you know, it took me 30 years to get to a point where I was kind of like, all right, maybe this is something that I should actually think about learning about, you know, leader, le being a leader, you know, and, and what does it mean to like sort of curate a culture, right? How do you create a, a space where people want to be part of something bigger than, than themselves, you know? And so I would say the last 10 years, that's kind of what I've tried to focus on is, mm. and I'm fortunate because I have a team of folks who can worry about executing, right. Who can get the work done for the client who can, um, you know, think about all the administrative things that come along. You got to get the invoice sent, right? Like, I mean, there's a whole mess of stuff that you have to do, or you just can't stay in business straight up, you know? So I've been really fortunate to be able to find folks who are very good at those things. And that frees me, you know, to think about sort of bigger picture things that I really do enjoy thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I would say maybe embrace that part of your personality a little bit more instead of, uh, you know, hiding from it or, or running from it. I think that would have been good for me when I was younger to be learning about those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like getting, giving yourself permission to, to do that. You know, it's not a, it's not a design flaw. It actually ends up being, you know, one of the features, right? Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, a bug, totally. you know, yeah. even though you know, institutions around you may think it is, it's actually one of the reasons you're going to be successful later on in life. Mm. Um, yeah. You just need someone to tell you that <laughs> or you have to yeah, figure right. it out the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, man, this, this is great. So, so have you picked up any, you know, any, any fun, any hobbies over, over COVID? We've all kind of been stuck inside and all that. You do anything for fun these days? Yeah. I um, recently bought uh, a pair of inflatable stand-up paddle boards. So oh, it's getting a little nice. cold now, but there were a, uh, there was a few months there where I could get those out. That was so fun. Um, mm. It's a new thing for me. You know, I never have done that before. Um, so that was really cool. I um, honestly, it's funny. All the places that sell them are like out because I think everybody's interested in the, these new hobbies, right? Totally. So, um, but I was able to get a hold of a couple. Um, I've been writing a lot of poetry, which is a new thing for me. I've always really? been a, an artist. You know, I like to shoot. Um, I make a lot of pictures, uh, photography, mm. that kind of thing. Um I think of code as art. I think most people who, who, who are developers think of it in that way, or yeah. some of them do. I'm a musician, you know, but poetry is new for me. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, well, if you think about it, even, even on a compiler, right? The best, my favorite ones were always ones where different things were colored, different things. Yeah. Like, like you don't need to do that. 
But of course, right. of course, it's great because it, that yeah. it shows the art when you look at lines and lines and there's reds and greens and all like that. It just it feels like you're creating something even behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. What kind of poetry? Well, um, does it rhyme? I it doesn't <laughs> rhyme. You know, I mean, I probably have done a couple that rhyme, but most of it is um, I'm, I'm sort of in a new relationship. So a lot of love poetry, oh, which nice, is fun. Um, I, I've been through some difficult personal times um, in the last year. It's been a challenging year, not beyond just, you know, COVID and stuff, just sure. a lot of changes. I'm in a new place here. This is a new house for me. Um, my kids are in a new school district. So like, there's just a lot of change going on for us, but um, I think it's been a way for me to like process a lot of the things that are happening in life. Um, so if you're interested in reading it, you can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Whoa, you publish it? I mean, some of it. That's ballsy, you know, I, man. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, got to put it out there, right? What What is your Instagram? Do just you Ben tell Callahan. Them? Yeah, sure. Ben Callahan? Okay. Yeah. So you actually put your, your poetry out on Instagram. I do sometimes. Yeah. Uh, mm. Along with some, you know, photography and that kind of thing. I think there's, um, I was just reading about this. I need to, I'm going to find a link to send you. Do you, I don't know if you have, if you do show notes, but I was just reading. Yeah, we do. Okay. I was just reading about this, this woman who is a multi-creative and she says something along the lines of like, Hey, we, this comes back to what we were talking about earlier of room with specialization. It's like, there's all these yeah. artists who now have that same pressure of specialization. Like what's your medium, you know? Mm. And she says, don't, if, if that's, if you do more than one thing, that's totally okay. Right. There's a, there is value in being somebody who works in many mediums. And I think yeah. like, for me, that's something this year that I've learned is like, I'm a, I'm a better president of Sparkbox when I take the time to process through some of the things that are happening in my personal life, you know? And so that might be through poetry or music or whatever, you know, photography or just getting out and hiking or, or whatever it is. Um, I mean, I think, there's a lot of value in that. And I think a lot of us are so that we want to be so good at what we do that that's all that we do. Mm -hmm. But the reality is there's a limit, you know, to what you can accomplish if you're not also spreading out a little bit, you know, yeah. just my thoughts. Yeah. But. yeah I, I, it, it resonates with me as well. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of in a similar boat, you know, trying to do different things and then keep thinking about, you know, but, but the world tells me to focus, right. They yeah. tell me, Everybody says like this is, you know, you need to specialize, but then that's not who I am. That's not how I do things. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I can totally relate to what you said. Yeah. Yeah, man. Crazy night, crazy times. You, you mentioned Instagram. Where else can people connect with you? Where do you want them to seek you out? Maybe to send you a note. They heard this, wanted to connect. Yeah. Um, so Twitter, just Ben Callahan as well. Um, my DMs are open out there. If you want to reach out, happy to chat. Cool. Um, you can, uh, on the Sparkbox website, csparkbox.com, you can fill out that contact form and I get those, you know, our, our team gets those and we filter them down to the right folks. So that's an easy way to get in touch if you have a question or something. Okay. Um, I'm happy to chat with folks, especially if it's, you know, around poetry or if it's around photography or even design systems. That's a big thing we're working on a lot these days. Um, just whatever, you know, um, love, I love having those conversations. A big part of my role these days is just to get to know what's happening in the industry. So if you've got, um, questions or thoughts or advice, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, it's, systems, right? it's a community, right? Yeah. What's yeah. everyone? No, I was just 
pointing out design systems is 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 definitely something new and you you said you are like personally working on them or like your like sparkbox as a team is, so, is this something new that you guys are throwing out to the world i would say um for the last five years it's something that we've done a lot of and at this point almost all of our engagements involve a system of some kind we yeah. We do a big survey every year. So we just uh, about a month ago released the 2020 design systems survey. I'll give you a link to yeah. that too, Casey, you can throw it in there. Oh yeah, um, totally. So we, we do a bunch of, you know, a big survey each year. We take that data, we analyze that and we publish the findings. Um, so this will be the third year we've done that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've done a lot of very large scale design system work, which I think it's interesting because they've been around long enough now that people are starting to see sort of the midlife crisis type problems with them. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's fun. There's some new, you know, new challenging conversations happening in that world. Um, I think there's a lot of value there, but you know, you have to be smart about how you put them into practice. And we've never really built the same one twice because they have to mm -hmm. live and breathe like a product yeah. inside your organization, you know? So there's, they're very customized. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. I'll, I'll definitely, you know, reach out to talk about that because we have recently started seeing a lot of growth and demand for from enterprise right. world, right? Not small yeah. business, small companies don't really understand that. It's like, yeah. you know, big shop, big, big teams, big companies really yeah. see the value in that. And then, yes, we knew it's been there for some time, but you saying that it is facing its midlife crisis, I would like to see how and where, what problems yeah. and challenges. So maybe some other day I'll, Let's do I'll it. reach out and yeah. Yeah, cool. that'd okay. be great. Cool. That's cool. Well, sweet guys. And this is, it's been fun, man. Ben, thanks so much for coming on and just hanging out with us for a little bit today. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been, been a lot of fun. Right on. Well, this has been Agencies That Build. We will catch you all next time.